our word for today is Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with, with sentries will do no good. Unless it, it is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to the loved ones. Children are a gift from God. Can I get an amen? They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hand. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for the children that are in the room, Lord. And we thank you, God, for just all that you're doing here at Faith Community Church. And Lord, I just pray that as we go about today, Lord, that you, Father, you, that you just engage us. And that, Lord, you open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us today, God. Lord, I pray that as we continue, Father, with our tithes and our offerings, Lord, just that you work in us, Father, and that you continue to bless us and guide us. Lord, you show us your favor and your mercy and your love. We thank you, praise you, and love you. Amen. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 19. I've called this message One-Way Commitment. I had a moment, uh, I think on Friday, I had a moment when I thought I might change the title of this, and you'll see why in a little bit. I thought I might change the title, Burn the Plow and Eat the Cow. Uh, now I, I, I toyed with that a little bit, but now, now it's out, okay? So 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 19. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shapheth, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to them, to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. There was an era of missionary zeal around the first part of the 20th century where a band of very brave souls became a group of what was called one-way missionaries. One-way missionaries. In other words, they, <clears throat> they bought a ticket to the mission field, but they did not buy a return ticket. Instead of suitcases, they packed all of their belongings into a coffin because before they sailed away, they would say their goodbyes to their loved ones because they knew they would never see them again. A.W. Milne was one of those one-way Christians, missionaries. He set sail for the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific, a group of islands that was 
fairly well known for the uh, <clears throat> situation with cannibals and headhunters. He also knew very well that several missionaries had gone before him and all had been martyred and died in their service. But Milne did not say straight back into what he described as safe Christianity. He said he did not fear for his life because he had already died to himself. His coffin was packed, and he served among these people in the New Hebrides for 50 years. When he died, the tribe buried him in the middle of the village and wrote on his headstone these words, when he came here, there was no light. When he left here, there was no darkness. Think about that. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. That is an amazing testimony, <coughs> a powerful inscription of somebody's life. Let me explain my text just very briefly. Elisha and Elijah were two prophets uh, without a question the most colorful, even the most powerful, that you'll find in the, uh, in the Old Testament. Their incredible deeds are, are written in the books of the kings, and it's exciting reading. I want us to understand that Elijah had traveled almost 300 miles from the region around Mount Sinai in the Arabian Desert to where Elisha was plowing. And when he got to Elisha, he took his mantle and threw it over Elisha's shoulders, which was, in those days, an act of commissioning. And he commissioned him to follow him. And then Elisha said this interesting statement. He said, first, I want to go and kiss my father and my mother goodbye. And in those days, in the Hebrew culture, that meant, I'm going to kiss you goodbye because I am never going to see you again. In many ways, he was a one-way missionary. And so he left, and he followed Elijah. Powerful inscription. I ask you this question, when, would, when did we start believing God wants to send us to safe places and to do easy things? And playing it safe is somehow actually safe. That doesn't happen. Faithfulness is not a matter of holding the fort. It is a matter of storming the gates. The will of God is not some kind of an insurance plan, but a daring plan and oftentimes a battle plan. And the surrender of your life completely to Christ is not something radical, but is normal. It's time to quit living, folks. Time to quit living with the purpose of my life as a Christian is so I arrive safely at death. There's something far more than that. Imagine, let me ask you to do a little imagining with me this morning. Imagine what the church would look like today if every single follower of Jesus returned to the same spirit of missional living. What if we intentionally sought to love our neighbors in such a way that we would invite them to our dinner tables 
Remember, we called this cheeseburger evangelism. And this is a great time of the year of this. You fire up the grill, you throw the hamburgers on it, invite the neighbors that you don't even know, or maybe you do know them, invite them over for cheeseburgers and conversations. Now, I want you to know something. You don't go to the table and slam your big Bible right in the middle of it. That's dumb. Because they're going to know exactly what you're up to. And no cheeseburger in the world is going to keep them there. So don't do that sort of stuff. Fellowship with these people. Talk to these people. Learn about these people. Listen to these people. And I guarantee you this. The conversation will swing around to an open door. And that open door may simply be, I notice that you folks are really faithful at going to church. There's your open door. It's very simple. And what you need to do is answer it in a very simple way. By just saying, you know, I was like a lot of people. I didn't go to church too much. But then God got a hold of my life. And that changed everything. Drop it right there. Craig, drop it right there. <laughs> Don't whip out one of your pens and pencils. And <laughs> God bless you. There, yeah, he's got one. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, the reason I'm saying this is because what you did, you put a little taste you put a little taste, a little morsel of something that's good. Something that's tempting. And that question will come around again eventually. It may take all summer. You may have to cook cheeseburgers for this family all summer long. But I guarantee you, it will come around to the right thing. And the thing of it will be is it'll give you an opportunity. It'll give you the door. It'll give you the, it, <clears throat> it will give you the privilege of being able to say to that family that doesn't go to church very much, if at all, to be able to say, hey, the puppets are going to be in our church, and they are incredible. Would you like to join us? Why don't you come to church with me this week? We'll set together. Or Christmas Eve will come, or Easter, or whatever. But God will use it. Simple, simple little things. Can you imagine how the world might see us? in our communities and in our neighborhoods. Philip, Philip in the New Testament was in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost when the mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit occurred and he became a part of that early church that was just absolutely charged with the living Spirit of God. He was a part of this. He was moving forward in his, in his walk and, and God began to speak to Philip. He said, I want you to go to Samaria and preach the gospel there. Understand something. The Samaritans didn't like the Jews, and the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. It was mutual. But Philip obeyed. He went to Samaria. He began to preach the gospel. People began to get saved, and there was, there was just a, a, a wonderful outpouring of God's spirit. People, people coming to Christ, it was a revival. And in the midst of this revival... God spoke to Philip again. He said, I want you to go 
onto a dusty little road in what we call the Gaza Strip and talk to somebody. Now, we speculate on how Philip got there, but I believe he supernaturally got there. Because the next thing we read in that account is Philip is standing on this desert road. Not, I don't even know if he knew where he was at and wondering why he is here. And here comes an Ethiopian in some kind of a carriage. And he's reading, interestingly, he's reading a piece of Isaiah chapter 53. Now where he got that, I have no idea. But he was reading it and customarily they read out loud. And Philip said, listen, do you know what you're, do you, know, do you understand this thing? Do you know what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, I have no idea. What does this mean? Well, here, I'll tell you. The open door. And he hopped up into the carriage. He said, yeah, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And by his stripes, we are he he's talking about this guy named Jesus. Oh, yeah, I've heard of him. Because I just came from Jerusalem. Philip led this guy to Christ. And then hopped off the carriage. The Ethiopian went on, and what he did was phenomenal because he took the gospel to the continent of Africa. And today, my friends, there is a strong, strong Christian work all over Africa because one guy spoke to another guy and it changed a continent. Paul was in a similar situation, I believe, in Acts, around Acts chapter 16 or 17. He wanted to go preach over here in this one town and God said, nope, you're not going there. Paul says, okay, then I, I think I'll go preach over here. God says, no, you're not going there either. But here's where you are going. You're going to Macedonia because it's time for Europe, the continent of Europe, to hear the gospel. And that's where God sent him. He walked in the obedience. He walked not knowing where he was even going. But God spoke to him. God told him. Jonah and I have a personal story, and I think I've said this on many occasions but there is a little question in our mind and in our hearts. <clears throat> how God led us, how God shifted the direction of our life after coming to Christ, the entire trajectory of our life. And we moved into ministry and all of these things. I've said to people before, if I were to die today, I can guarantee you this, I feel like I've lived the most fulfilled life that any man could ever live. And Jesus led me all the way. And God provided at every step that we took. What is commitment? My, uh, my personal definition goes something like this. It means a pledge to do something. It's an, unres it's an unreserved devotion to stand fast and to hold in place. And, and that's, very, that's very different in our culture today, isn't it? Our culture doesn't see this very well. Our culture doesn't do commitment very well. We are a self-serving bunch that lives today. 
It's a throwaway kind of culture. We throw away children. We throw away our homes. We throw away this and that because it's not convenient. We live for the moment. We do what feels good. What does it mean to be commitment? It means making a firm choice. It means not worrying about keeping your options open. It means pursuing something full, wholeheartedly and with no contingency fallback plans. It means 100% sold out to a person, to a goal, not hiding out nothing in reserve. Commitment. I don't believe God is pleased when we become wishy-washy on commitment. God's not a big fan of fence setters. He's not pleased with those who are forever trying to make up their mind about serving and living for God and can never settle on a course of action in their life. And all of this, God desires people who will follow him and follow him with a, with a joyful abandon and without any regret, without any looking back. Jesus gives us a little hint of this that in some ways really, uh, really ties in with my text this morning, but in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus is talking about commitment, about how to be deeply committed to following him as a disciple. And some person who I think wanted to be a disciple came up to Jesus and said this, Jesus, <clears throat> I will follow you, but let me first go back and bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. Sounds kind of hard-hearted, doesn't it? You've got to understand part of that culture, too. And a part of the words right there. Listen, the father wasn't dead yet. This guy's going to say, I'm going to go live with my father until he dies, and then after he dies, and then I'm going to show up and follow you. That's not how it works. Jesus walking along Galilee said to Peter, James, John, follow me. And guess what they did? They didn't say, oh, look, we've got to go fishing tonight. The Bible says they left their boats, they left their nets, and they followed him. That's how it works. That is exactly how it works. Listen again to the opening lines of Jesus' letter to the Laodiceans. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other, so because you're lukewarm, neither hot, neither cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. The lack of commitment. Looking for the easy. Looking for that which costs us very little, if nothing. Dwight Lyman Moody was a very poorly educated man. He was a shoe salesman. He was not ordained by God, but he felt that he was called to preach the gospel. Early one morning, he and some friends gathered at a hayfield for a season of prayer. And one of these friends was a guy named Henry Varley. Henry Varley made this statement, the world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man who is fully and wholly dedicated to him. Moody was deeply moved by those words. And God deeply moved 
on Moody's life. Moody eventually became one of the great evangelists of our modern times. He founded a Bible college that we know today as Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. He left an indelible imprint on a generation. In 1893, his sermons were so powerful, so effective, that they were carried on the front page of the New York Times. Try to do that today. That ain't gonna happen. And now more than a century later, his legacy continues on. It still remains. Folks, it's a time for a decision in our lives. It's a decision you make today. And I realize there's a lot of people here that says, you know, Pastor, I accepted Christ in my life. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be blunt. Sometimes we accept Christ in our life, and this is where we plant it. And we haven't moved. Serving Christ is not a static thing. It is dynamic. Serving Christ is moving forward, sometimes slowly, sometimes rapidly, sometimes at a different pace than we ever imagined, sometimes even in a direction that surprises us. <clears throat> but it's that kind of a decision we make. It's easy to get comfortable. Folks, that's natural to us. That's just natural. I like to get comfortable. I like to go home after church, get into my old clothes, go down to the family room, flop down into the recliner, and say, ah, there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not where I'm going to spend the rest of my life. Not at all. It's a matter of a surrender to the Lordship of Christ in our life. When God is about to do something, listen to me carefully. When God is about to do something amazing in our lives, he calls us to consecrate ourselves to him. God demonstrated this in the Old Testament book of Joshua, chapter 3, verse 5, which simply says, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And like I said at the beginning of this message, far, far too often, we settle for the routine, we settle for the easy, we settle for the comfortable. Don't press us. Don't ask us to go out on any kind of a faith limb. But that's not what God's saying. This morning, as I was thinking about this, and I thought of the early days. I, I thought of what we're doing at LifeGate. We had a great crowd this morning. And I thought of when we started that church in Algona with those 22 people. At least 12 of them had to be Joan's relatives. They were there only because they were going to get a meal. We didn't have any music. We had the piano, and actually we had a piano player, but she didn't play. So it was a cappella. 
from May until October. Oh, man. That was bad. Guess who the song leader was? No, he wasn't. But God says, don't despise the days of small beginnings. And when we left, there was 175 in that church worshiping in the new sanctuary. God says, I'm going to do amazing things. I want to be a part. I want to be a part of the amazing things. You know, we try to do a job for God, and I think sometimes we get that a little bit backwards. And God says, no, 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 you're missing it. I want to do a job through you. There's a great big difference there. And it's an ever-deepening love for Jesus and giving him full devotion. It's giving God the veto power I do remember this very distinctly in my life. When I said those very same words to myself, I give you the veto power in my life. You're welcome to tell me. If it's wrong, then tell me how not to do it. Janet, would you return, please? Could you, uh, <clears throat> could you find all to Jesus, I surrender? Or I surrender all. Could you folks back there uh, maybe find the first verse of that? An ever-deepening love for Jesus. Last thing I want to say, just really briefly, that I'm done. We sing a chorus from time to time around here. I, I, it's been quite a while since we've sung it, but these are the days of Elijah. I scrolled that on the bottom of my notes this morning. Elijah was a human being. I love the study of this man's life. This is a human being who dared to believe God for anything that God said. How would you like to stand off against a crazy, wicked, demon-possessed queen named Jezebel and 450 of her favorite prophets, all false? But that's what Elijah did. And when the day ended, it was Elijah that was standing alone before God's people. It was Elijah and his servant Gehazi holed up in a little cabin on the run, surrounded by Jezebel's bunch. Gehazi said, we are in trouble. These guys are going to eat our lunch. Elijah said, go look again. And when he did, he saw the armies of God all around him. These are the days of Elijah. Let's pick up on it. Sing with me. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely I will ever love 
His presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender. Father, I thank you today that you give us the opportunity and the very wonderful privilege to surrender to you. Father, no, far, no matter how far and long we have walked with you, I believe there are moments that are special in our lives. And once again, we are reminded to surrender. Father, we are once again reminded to consecrate yourselves before God as he does amazing things in our lives. Father, I thank you today. I pray that, Lord, that you, <clears throat> that you do a great work in our lives and in the midst of our lives and in our church. So, Father, I pray that you'll bless every, every family, every individual that's here today. I pray that literally your hand of blessing, your firmness of your presence would be incredibly real in all of our lives. And so I thank you for this. Always in the wonderful name of Jesus. Let's lift our hands for the blessing of God. Father, may the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine into our lives. Father, not just to light us up, but to light up Jesus Christ to a darkened and lost world. So Father, we thank you for this. The joy is ours to be able to follow you and to live for you and to walk with you. I pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen.